The gospel this morning is from the fourth chapter of John. Jesus left Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, you have no bucket. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well and with his sons and flock drank from it? Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water, gushing up to eternal life. Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband. You are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. I am the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with the woman, but no one said, What do you want? or why are you speaking with her? Then the, people left, then the woman left the water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything that I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. The word of our Lord. Um, Thank you to Tom for that last-minute change and for doing a little reader's theater. It is a long reading and tried to make it a little bit more three-dimensional than it might otherwise seem. Let us pray. May the words in my mouth and the meditations in our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our God, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. 
would guess that the townspeople thought they knew everything about her. What more did they really need to know? Really, I mean, she had five husbands, and the man she was currently living with, she, he wasn't her husband. That told them everything they needed to know. And so she was alone. She would go get water by herself, and the rest of them didn't bother to invite her along. After all, they knew about her life, and they didn't want to get close to that. If we're honest, as soon as we see or hear Jesus discuss those five husbands, we too might have an assumption about this woman. Perhaps we didn't even have to hear the gospel read. We saw the title, Woman at the Well, and we thought, oh, I know about her. I've heard this story before. And if you thought that, and you have some assumptions, perhaps thinking she's an experienced woman, hardened, dismissed, or maybe you thought she's a sinner, she's promiscuous, she's a woman of the world, you fill in the blank. Know this, you're in good company. Preachers and teachers of the church for a long time have made these same assumptions about this woman and preached sermons about how Jesus has transformed her life and pulled her out of her way of sin. And in turn, Many of us, every time we see this text, think the same thing. Oh, I know about her. On Monday afternoon, Helena and I were driving back from Duluth, and we decided that we were going to listen to a podcast and turn off uh, the radio for a while. I really enjoy listening to The Daily by the New York Times, so I looked in my little podcast feed for one of them to listen to, and I didn't want anything too political. But most of them were. It was like, President Trump, President Trump, no, 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 no politics in the car today. And so instead, I found the one story that wasn't political, but it was about Tanya Harding. And I thought, oh, I'm really not that interested. I mean, I know everything there is to know about Tanya Harding. I didn't need to see the movie I, Tanya, or anything. I just know. I remember it from my days of my youth. But Helena, she doesn't know. I guess she could learn something. So we turned it on. The podcast started in a way that I didn't expect. I thought they'd recount the Olympic scandal and jump right into the things that I already knew I knew. But instead, the reporter presented Tanya today, a woman who's grown, grown up, a sassy, sarcastic lady who hunts with a bow and arrow, owes, owns multiple fur coats, Her ice skates actually are up in the local bar that she goes to regularly. And she's honest and authentic and hardened. It startled me to start to think about who Tanya might be today and what her life has been like. And then the reporter jumped back in time and started to tell about her early days how she became a skater because when she was three, she saw an ice rink and said, I need to be on that. And by age four was winning championships because she was so skilled. As a teenager, she couldn't afford ice time, so she worked at the local mall and on her breaks would run down to the ice rink in the mall, skate, and then run back to go back to work so she could afford to actually take on this really expensive sport. 
She sewed her own costumes and was criticized for that. She landed the first triple axle jump by a woman. And throughout it all, she lived a very difficult life with an abusive mother. When we stopped for gas about 15 minutes into the story, Helena turned to me and said, Wait, Mom, who is this woman? Who is Tanya Harding? And why is she famous? And I suddenly realized that in spite of the fact that I knew everything there was to know about Tanya Harding, that I really knew nothing about Tanya Harding. My memories were vague and they were unclear, but let me tell you, my judgments and my assumption of her, they were huge. And so I told Helena, well, it happened when I was in high school. She was in the Olympics along with Nancy Kerrigan, and they were competing with each other. There was drama. Nancy was attacked by a hired hitman, and somehow Tanya Harding's bodyguard or ex-husband was accused of doing that. She broke her lace at the Olympics, and I remember watching that. It was intense. But aside from that, I didn't know much of anything. My conclusion at that time was she was guilty by association. I didn't need to know anything more. I knew the whole story. I knew everything there was to know about her. And I allowed her to be labeled, just like the media said. This is who she is. It defines her completely. And I dismissed her. I didn't think about the whole person that she is, a living, breathing, beloved child of God, who, regardless of guilt, is allowed to be seen completely I think we do this all the time if we're actually honest. I think we maybe get better with age, but I think it's easy to look at one aspect of somebody's life, one story, one event, and say, I know everything there is to know about you. And to just put it behind us, to think, "Mm, I don't need to pay attention to that person anymore. I confess I did it to Tanya Harding. I also have done it to the girl who was mean to me in eighth grade at the lunch table. Oh, she's a bully. Don't need to know anything more. But that's not true. It's never true that any of us are just that one thing, that one event, that one situation that was probably hard or difficult or mean or callous. But regardless, we're always more than that. Many of us in the church have judged the woman in our story today based on the fact that Jesus brings up her five husbands and the fact that she's currently living with a man who is not her husband. As soon as we hear him say those words, we think we know her. We think we know her story, and we think we know what type of person she is. But we don't. We forget the fact that women were the vulnerable of the vulnerable in Jesus' day. That women didn't actually choose who they got to marry. That they instead were told. And that more likely than anything, she had a very hard, difficult journey. Not one of promiscuity, but probably one of pain and heartache. Jesus often does things like this. 
He takes a situation or an event or gossip that's being talked about, and instead of allowing the whispers to occur behind closed doors or far away from the watering hole, he goes, let's talk about it in broad daylight. Let's get whatever secret we thought we couldn't talk about and let's address it up front. Jesus pulls people out of the margins and the shadows and he shines a light on them. And he says to us, take another look. You're missing something. You're missing something important. When Jesus stops by the well and meets the Samaritan woman, he dares to ask her for a drink of water, even though it breaks all sorts of social boundaries. But in saying, I'm thirsty, give me a drink, he's vulnerable to her so that she might be vulnerable in return. She might dare to tell the truth, I don't have a husband when asked. And in that moment, suddenly, Jesus exposes her truth. He sees that she is more than any one characteristic or one definition. And in her truthfulness, she is praised. I hope you notice that in our text this morning that Jesus doesn't offer forgiveness to her. doesn't seem to me that she actually needs it. What she needs is to be seen. What she needs is to be heard. What she needs is to be known completely. And I can't help but wonder if maybe it is instead the community that has abandoned her that needs forgiveness. Or perhaps... We, who judge her from afar and a distant time period long, long, like, after, that need to be forgiven too. If we know anything about this woman, it is from her engagement with Jesus. She is faithful and smart. She asks great questions. She's direct and honest. And she is the first evangelist. And she is successful. She gets done talking to Jesus and she goes to the town and she converts almost the entire community by saying, I met a man who knows everything about me. Come and see. All this week I've been annoyed that the title for the story in my Bible is Woman at the Well or Jesus Talks to a Samaritan Woman. I'm like, why is the title not Jesus calls the first evangelist. Wouldn't that be great? What if this story was told about a man? Would the title be different? Would he have a name? Would we hear about his evangelism? Would Jesus dare to say, hey, go and get your wife and bring her back here? Would Jesus point out if he had five wives? And if he did, would we think ill of him? Or would we just ignore it and say, oh, Jacob had five, four wives, not five, but four wives. That's just the way things were back then. For some reason, I think we judge women differently than we do men. We don't give them the fair shake. We slap labels on them unfairly. And I think that this is something we need to acknowledge and confess. Both men and women do it, and we do it more often than not to women, and we allow them to not be able to move on from that singular story. And I believe this has to change. We need to remember that this woman is the first evangelist, and who cares about those husbands? 
What this means for us today, I think, is this. That when we look around the world and look at other people, we always need to remember that no one is defined by a single story, but we all, all of us, have more to offer None of us knows the truth of someone else's journey. None of us deserves to be judged by anything we did on one event. And then we remember to follow Jesus, to see people for who they really are, to see them completely, to see beyond any rumors or gossips or misconceptions, and to see their truth. Because this is what Jesus does for us. He sees you sees you completely, loves you completely, knows you completely. And in loving and knowing you, Jesus allows you to lay down whatever burdens you are carried, carrying, like the woman does with her bucket, and instead to go out in the world and see all those other people who might not be seen today, and to say, come and see a man who knows me completely. Because when you come and see him, you too will be seen. Amen.